It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to the show today. I'm Andy Paul. And I'm Bridget Gleason. And thanks for joining us as we're going to hear, we're going to talk about sales advice. You know, there's this world of sales advice that's available to sales leaders and salespeople online. And we're going to take some that uh, we found online and look at it and say, hey, is this good advice or bad advice? And uh, we're not going to necessarily name the authors unless we think it's really fantastic advice, right? Yep. <laughs> but we thought it'd be worth you know, putting a filter on some of what's out there that's uh, sort of, you know, it's an open world. We can indiscriminately post anything we want that we think is worthwhile. But is it really worth following this advice or is it something you should be a little cautious about? So the first thing we're going to talk about is, is we saw this uh, comment online that and I'll read the quote. It said, cold emailing is quickly becoming the fastest, most cost effective way to grow your sales funnel. Join us as we share the exact outbound email strategies that increase leads by 327%. Now, <laughs> I love that quote. <laughs> That's a great place to start, Andy. Well, things like that sort of drive me crazy, right? But maybe it's because you know, the percentage is so precise, right? Right. Use this, you're going to get 327, not 325 or 326, but 327. But I guess mostly because it, it, it drives me crazy. It's like this, you know, here's a single variable solution to a complex problem. Well, and I think the other the other thing in this is it doesn't take into account differences in sectors and industries and products and the way people buy. There is absolutely no way that they can share an exact outbound email strategy that's going to be a one-size-fits-all. So I think the claim here is it's it's ludicrous, it's misleading, it's it's not going to give. There's no way it can give people the results that it claims to universally. <laughs> no. It's almost unbelievable that anybody would even read this and and click through to find out to find out more. Right, because look at the universe of of possibilities that are out there. One, you could be a startup, you could be an established small company, you know, a more complex business-to-business -business sale or a large enterprise selling multi-billion dollar solutions. Uh, yeah, it's not a one-size-fit-all solution. Well, and I, I think the danger with, with statements like this is, and, and you know this, Andy, really well, because you not only have been in the business for quite some time, but you do a lot of consulting for different stages of companies. And I found, particularly when I was doing consulting myself, is the people who fall for this and read this are people that are not very knowledgeable. So a CEO of a, a startup may read this and bring it to the new VP of sales and say, hey, why don't we, we, we can increase our VP of marketing, we can increase our leads by 327%. Why aren't you doing this? So it puts some pressure also on uh, sales teams, then often marketing teams as they, they come closer and closer together to say, hey, this is out there. Why don't you do this? Why aren't you getting 300%? So I think it sets also very unrealistic expectations or can because people who are reading it don't have the experience that Andy say you or I have and think, 
uh, okay, maybe there's something to this. Yeah, and I think that if you're a sales leader and you're looking at something like this, then if somebody were to make the claim, look, we can increase your leads by 40%, hey, I'd be really tempted to look at that because that seems like a pretty realistic number in the grand scheme of things, unless you're coming from a base of zero. So you know, perhaps even the people that are making this claim might consider from a marketing perspective to make a little more realistic claim and maybe they'll attract more people. Well, and that's a good that's that's a really good point also. And and I would hazard to guess that the reason they're not is there are probably plenty of credible people that are making realistic claims. And so this one really st- stands out. And then you get the you get the person who really doesn't know. But there's probably there's there are more definitely out there that are making realistic, plausible, hey, there could be some good stuff in here. Right. But you know that's 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 just my guess around that one but that's 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 crazy it's okay. crazy that's talk awesome. i think we agree right all right let's go on to the next one great now okay for the editor uh we'll take a pause here it just i think your jewelry is knocking against your microphone okay thank you i will uh, you're you're absolutely right corrected okay perfect all right so let's go on to the next one here's from a blog it said Eight surefire ways to improve your sales performance. And I'll just read them and then we'll go back and dissect them. Number one, consistently set high sales goals. Two, hold reps accountable for those goals. Three, reward performance with incentives. Four, do not cap compensation. Five, continually train and coach your reps. Six, instill a culture of trust in the company and product. Seven, keep improving your sales process. And finally, eight, Make high performance the standard. Now, my reaction when I saw these eight surefire ways to improve your sales performance was, these are really table stakes for having a sales force. Yeah, I think they're table stakes. And also, if I'm a manager, I look at these and they're so generic, I don't know what to do. Like, it, like make high performance the standard. <laughs> uh, now, saying that, how does that improve your performance? And, and, and also, what do I do? What do I do? What are the actionable steps that I take to make high performance a standard? I, I think somebody reading this, it, it looks like just, like you said, Andy, table stakes and sort of a lot of, like, let's post these on a wall. Yeah, and, let's put it, in the, I, put it in the break room, right? Let's put this in the break room. But how do I, what action do I take? What action do I take on these? Some do not cap compensation. Okay, I, I don't know how that's going to improve the sales performance. No. So if you're, let's sort of dissect it a little bit. So if you're going to consistently set high sales goals, that's the number one. Well, let's sort of define what an aggressive or a stretch goal is. I mean, you've a lot of experience running sales teams. When you set goals for individuals, by definition, they're going to be stretch goals, right? Well, you would you would hope. And again, it doesn't give any insight or assistance in what is high. What's high? Is it 10% over? What's a stretch goal? What's it, it gives no context also around that. So again, not very helpful in my opinion. Like maybe to put on a wall right. and try to motivate that way, but not super helpful, just not granular enough. Right. So maybe we could help people that have looked at this and heard this. Maybe we could give them some guidance relative to what's a reasonable, if you're setting sales goals for your salespeople from year to year, What's a range that you should expect relative to an increase for setting goals for salespeople? So I'll, I'll ask you that first. What would you say? Well, I mean, part of it is it has to align with what your overall goal is as a company, right? 
Yeah. So, I mean, if your goal as a company is, look, that we want to be growing 25, 30% or more year after year, year over year, then the sales goals that you set have to align with that at a minimum, right? As you have to have complete alignment between the individual goals and what they add up to relative to the corporate goal. Correct. I, I would say the other, the other thing here is looking at what, what sort of the lead velocity mm-hmm. is, and especially in a SaaS business, that's going to be a big determinant and driver in a sales team's ability to hit goals. So if you see that your lead velocity is increasing at a rate of, let's say, 10, 10 15, 20%, you can safely increase uh, sales reps' goals by that and maybe even uplift it a little bit, encouraging them to also get better at qualifying and closing and some of the skills that are required once a lead comes across their desk. But there's there's a lot of things, um, like you said, Andy, you've got to take into consideration what the goals for the company are, what's realistic to expect in terms of increases, what's the total addressable market. It's, it's not as easy as just saying, hey, make it 10% more than it was last year. Exactly. Number two is hold reps accountable for those goals. Well, of course, right? I mean, fact is that management has to be proactive in weeding out those people that are not capable of contributing the way they need to contribute. Yeah, and I'm I'm a big believer also into taking that even a step a step before the goals, which is holding reps accountable for the activities that are going to lead to the achievement of those goals. And I think that's that's where you really hold them accountable is you know, are they doing the things that they need to do that we have seen demonstrated in the sales process lead to goal attainment? And then you can start to work with the reps. And again, you're trying to improve sales performance. Where are they, where are they falling behind? Is it in qualifying? Is it in uh, demoing? Is it after the proposal stage? Then you can really start to help them. But I think going and looking at our, our, is, is the activity level correct is a really important thing to hold reps accountable to. Yeah. And I was sort of end gaming and saying from a manager's perspective is one of the big problems is, is that managers will keep reps past their expiration date. You know, people that have proven that, you know, at an activity level, they're either you yes. know, call reluctant or, you know, not good with customers, whatever, you know, detail that exists within that, then you have to make the hard decision. Is this person not a long-term fit or even a short-term fit for what we're trying to accomplish? then you have to, you got to pull the plug. Yeah, and I think we have to get comfortable with making these hard decisions. And, you know, when, when, when working to build a high-performance sales team, high performers want to work with other high performers. And you, you won't be able to attract and retain the talent you want if you have, if you have mediocre people sort of in the ranks. So I think there's a, it's really, there's an imperative to, to, like you said, make those hard decisions, figure out this isn't a fit, not working for you, not working for us, and be really clear and have really clear metrics about um, how much time a rep has to really hit the, hit the goals, mm-hmm. sit out in front of them. And after that, that we all agree, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, you made reference earlier to the software as a service space, the SaaS space. I mean... Some of those companies that are on a high ramp and trying to scale very quickly, 
you know, reps off a very short runway. You know, it could be 90 days max. That's right. So as a manager, you need to be, think about even your own business. If you're not in that scenario, right? Why, uh, even, even, even in that, not in that scenario, why would you necessarily give somebody more than 90 days? That's a mystery to me. But right. there are people that do it that don't, you know, when I, when I look to hire a manager who works for me, uh, I do look at their past history of being able to uh, hiring and firing people. Mm-hmm. You've got to be good at both and have and know who, uh, you know, right profiles to hire and just be willing to, again, to make the hard decisions to fire in a timely manner. Don't don't let it drag out. Yeah. I mean, what I see oftentimes with companies that I work with when come in, sales have sort of stalled or stagnated, they need to get going is, yeah, there's a group of people that are there that shouldn't be there still, you know, demonstrate over a period of time. It's just not the right fit for them. doesn't mean they're not going to be perfectly productive somewhere else, but they're not a right fit for that environment. And oftentimes you've seen as the CEO or the VP of sales has personally taken up the load that these people aren't carrying, which distracts them from other work that they need to be doing. So you have to address that very quickly and promptly. Yeah, and I, I think your point, Andy, is a really good one, that just because a rep is not successful in a particular environment does not mean that they won't be successful or can't be successful somewhere else. And give them, I, I sort of look at it as a, a manager, that I want to give the individuals on my team the best opportunity to be successful. And if they're not able to do it in the current environment, in some ways, it's a kindness to cut them loose and encourage them to find that place where where they can be successful. And I've seen in many situations, Andy, where I've brought in people that have been just crushed it at previous companies. And for some reason, in the environment that I'd hired them into, it wasn't working. Yes, me too. And, and on the other side, people that just weren't, it, it just wasn't working. And they went on somewhere else and had stellar performance. So I, I just think giving them, giving salespeople, we, we need to put them in the best situation for them to be successful. And it's not always the place where we are. Right. And you're not doing them any favors, you're not doing yourself any favors, keeping them a- on too long. Absolutely. 100% in agreement. I like the rest of those are motherhood and apple pie statements we can sort of move on let's let's attack right. the next like, tax right. the next one so okay here's a an article i'd seen that someone said um gosh here are the most important questions you should ask during an interview to hire a sales candidate and i thought this would be a good one to discuss because some of these questions are just a little interesting so here's an old classic number one on this list person's list was what was your w2 at your last job i you know it's so funny to read this one Andy, I was uh, talking to a former colleague of mine who was who was uh, is actually interviewing today at a, at a company, and he was talking absolutely about this. What do I tell them about my salary, about what I'm making, and on target? We had this discussion. I said, "Hey, listen, a common question, and I'm not saying this is a great one." But they can ask for your W-2. So the only answer you have here is to tell them what, what you made. Absolutely. That, that's, so do I think that's the best or the worst question? It would be a prime. Th- this to me is not a, a sales manager requ- question. It's more of an HR question. Yeah. And for me, the other point is the reason why I don't, I mean, this is sort of interesting. Yeah, you learn whether or not, two things. You learn 
whether or not the person performed mm-hmm. at the prior job. And two is, is yeah, if you're going to ask what they'd made on their W-2, you have to ask to see it as well, right? So, right. So it has that double benefit of, of saying, okay, this is a claim that can be verified. My reluctance as to why this you know, really makes an interesting interview question is that you know, sales environments are so different from one to the other is, is we just got through talking about, you know, does someone's performance at a prior job in and of itself, is that tell you enough about that person to say, yeah, they're really worthwhile hiring at this job to enter your job that you're offering? You know, that's not a real great screening question as far as I'm concerned. Well, I I would agree. I would I think as maybe a sales rep who is interviewing for a job, they should be prepared to answer this question for I've never asked that question. Yeah. And no. nor would I. I, I. I agree with you. I think it's HR needs to go and figure figure that out. But for me, this is not going to give me the information that I need to make a decision regarding whether this person is somebody who I want to have on the team. Right. So let me quickly read through the the other questions this person advocates as being great questions asked. The first was, what was your W-2? Number two is, what are you looking for in your next role? Three, how do you find your prospects? Four, what would it take for you to make a change? Five, do you work better alone or with direction? Six, why did you leave your prior company? Seven, do you have any questions for me? And eight, who is the best salesperson you know? Now, I look at these... So here's an article advocating these are the best questions, eight questions to ask somebody in a sales interview. And my problem is that actually these don't tell you anything about this prospect relative to the job you're hiring for. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I, I was going through them thinking, you know, do you have any questions for me? Yeah, hopefully they've got some questions. Um, this isn't when I look about the things that I screen for, like I think about, a, let's take a cultural fit. Mm-hmm. How does this help me screen for a cultural fit? How does it help me screen for, let's say, their level of ambition or prior success or how they handle failure? These questions aren't, these questions aren't helping me get there. No. And I, I, have, and I have a different approach, too. I mean, I, I ask those questions, but I, more than... Most people, I really advocate starting with sort of a real factual-based understanding of the candidate, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I want to go through what they've done in the recent past, and I, I want to see how they achieved. And I want them to be able to, to me, it's really important that you be able to verify the claims they make. And so I'll do a really deep dive on their assertions about what they accomplished in prior work. Because I think that is really an, a thing that you need to understand is, is A, are they being truthful, which is obviously the key key thing, because that's going to be relative to trust. And as I like to say, I said in a blog post I posted today, so, you know, an interview is no place for trust. Um, yeah. And two is, you know, do they have the capabilities, just the basic capabilities? Because I want to I uncover whether they have those basic capabilities and as a later step, I'm going to test whether they can actually do the things they say they can. So that's that's interesting. I there are definitely different approaches to that. I don't start there. So, but I but I've been interviewed where people start there, where they go through my 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 have gone through my resume 
with a fine tooth comb asking about each transition, about each job, about what I did, and, and basically just taking a really deep dive like you do, Andy, mm-hmm. in understanding sort of what got me to the place that I am today, which I think is it is like when I hear you say that and, and have, having been in uh, my past on the other side of it, it's a, it's a good way to start an interview. I tend to not start there, but I end up going there. Mm-hmm. So you start with it. I tend to start with maybe, here's, here's what I'm trying to figure out early on. I believe that my job as a sales leader is to provide an environment where motivated people can be successful. And so I really screen for it. Like my job is not to be motivating. So I probably start with screening for sort of your determination for how you handle conflict. Um, In a tough situation, what do you do? I Mm -hmm. screen ethics. I screen for coachability. I, I probably start with some of the more interpersonal. Is this a person who's going to be a good fit in the company, on the team, with the customers that we're dealing with? Do they have, a, a especially in a technical sale, do they have the um, do they have the, the the ability to really sort of grok the, the particular domain that we're selling into? Mm-hmm. So I kind of start there, and then maybe a subsequent interview, I'll really dig deep into what you're saying, which I think is super important. Yeah, and I, as you said, I approach it a different way. Maybe it's just male-female difference between well, be. hard, hard and soft approaches to it. Yeah. But, but I think I end up at the same spot, is that is I want to understand the logic of what got them there, right? So, and, you know, what were the motivations? What were the... As you said, how they handle conflict at previous jobs and understand the story. That's what I'm really looking for is, right? What's that story that got them from where they were before to where they are today and what they're aspiring to do in their careers going forward? And maybe a different approach for following, you know, arriving at the same point. But yeah, you need to be able to uncover the things that uncover the things that you talked about and surface that and understand it. Um, and the other time, too, is, is I really, yeah, I, I think people in general play a little loose and fast with resumes in terms of the content that's in there. As you talked about with your friend that was going to be asked the question with the W2 is, you know, no choice. You have to tell the truth, right? Yeah. Is, yeah. I, is I want to, I want to see and make my own determinations is, you know, how are people dealing with that as they represent themselves in their story on the resume, you know, is it is it is it really the truth, or is this a is this an amplified version that uh, is not going to be the person that shows up to work? Yeah, and uh, you you bring up a really good point about people being loose and fast with their resumes, and I think that's 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 a, a sort of a danger. I look at that too. We can say anything. I can put anything I want on LinkedIn. I think the advantage we have today that we didn't have before is all these ways to connect and validate what someone is saying. And I think it's interesting now with references that I found that, you know, people will put some references, you know, they'll list certain references. And those, let's hope the references that people put down are going to give them positive references. (laughs) Or powerful ones are the ones that you find and that you connect that they didn't give you. 
Right. And I think that's that's where you're able to go. As you said, you want to hear the story and you want to hear the claims and you want to hear what they say they're doing. And we've got a great ability to be able to go and validate that in a lot of cases. Um, just back channel. Yeah. Well, back channel. And I also am a big advocate of, of if someone makes a representation on their resume that, hey, I was 250% a quota, is say, okay, well, who can I talk to to verify that? Yeah, that's uh, absolutely. I think if it's fair game, if it's on the resume and they're claiming they're the superstar, then you need to be able to provide me a source that's not your reference, that's your, you know, hand-selected person that's going to give me, you know, the good word about you. You need to give me somebody else that I can talk to and permission for them to tell me whether or not you did this. Right. And and I think part of what you're Part of what we're driving out here, which is, it's sort of unfortunate that we're having to drive at it, but as you said, people can be a little loose and fast, is just integrity. Are you you representing yourself accurately? And what can I expect from you working here? I I would rather somebody tell me I was 92% a plan and here's why, than try to sort of exaggerate, well, I, you know, they put 108%, but well, I would have been 108 if my territory was right. You know, that they've got some story in their head where they think I can put 108 even though I was only 92. Right. Because I think people do construct stories and they make justifications around why they can be a little bit more liberal in the way that they represent themselves. And for me, that's, and for any employer, that should be a huge red flag, right? Because if, if people, if people are going to fudge 5-10% on their resume, then what's the impact if they fudge 5-10% uh, in uh, a proposal and something at work? You know, it's it's huge. And you really can't accept that. I mean, you have to be firm and say, yeah, I may like this person. You know, they seem to present themselves nicely, but if there's a you know, real disconnect relative to their integrity and their ethics, not worth bringing them on board. Yeah, I I completely agree. And again, it's it's unfortunate we have to do this level of inspection. But I think um, I think your questions. I, I love your question. Who who can who can validate the claim of two hundred fifty percent? Who can I talk to right. to validate that? Yeah, I've had you know slight digression of story about integrity as personal story about integrity is is my first job I was interviewing for out of college with a company called Burroughs that sold computers and and so on is the job required a lot of understanding of accounting because we were selling business business applications and uh, so first day on the job or first interview uh, sitting in the office with the sales manager he calls me into the office he's got a notebook he opens up first question out of his mouth is an accounting question. And I had taken accounting college and done reasonably well in it, but it wasn't what I was expecting at the time. And I froze. Mm. And I just couldn't for the life of me think of the answer. And I'm thinking, oh my God, here I screwed up my first interview. And so I just stopped and I said, look, before I said anything else, I said, I could try to BS you with an answer, but I know this answer. I I just can't come to mind right now. Can I go home and look it up? And I'll call you in the morning with the right answer. But I, you know, I said, I don't want to give you the wrong answer now. <laughs> sales manager doesn't say a word. Sales manager folds his notebook, stands up, walks out of the room. Been in there for like two minutes. Oh, dear. And a couple minutes later, this other gentleman comes in who's the branch manager, boss of the whole office, sits down, looks at me and says, so I understand Ray, who was the guy that first guy that interviewed me. He said, so I understand Ray wants to hire you. 
And that was my interview. I got hired on the basis of that, right? Is that I refused to try to make shit up. And I think that's, you know, so important lesson for people. You don't need to, right? Just be yourself, be authentic. Yeah, maybe you didn't hit 100% of quota on your prior job, but you could still possibly be a fit for this new opportunity you're looking for. Go for it. Andy, that is a, a fantastic story. Because you think about, don't you coach salespeople to tell the truth to the customers yes. and tell them i don't if I, I i don't if you don't know you don't know and particularly i'm i'm uh working now for a company called sumologic it's a very uh technical product log management and analytics mm-hmm. and invariably the sales reps as technical as they may be are not going to be as technical as their audience so to try to fudge your way through something will only get you in trouble. And I, I love that the, the manager when, uh, from Burroughs saw that here's a guy who is okay saying, I don't know, let me get back to you. That's exactly, that's such a great proof point of what the way that they would want, I would want a sales rep to respond and behave without any coaching. Exactly. Just naturally. With, with a prospect or a client. I think that was a, that's a fantastic, I, I, I think that's a better question, Andy. When you look at what would be great questions is to find a question, ask a question of something that there's a pretty good chance they don't know the answer and see how they respond. That would be a great question to add to this list. Yeah. Well, I tried to do that in, in when I interview is, is you want to see how people respond, right? Under pressure. When they have yeah. to make a choice, do they make the right decision? Right. And that's right. that's the type of person. If you can find the person that makes the right decision, then they're probably coachable on a lot of other things that you want them to do, and they'd be a good person to find and hang on to. Right, right. Well, yeah, totally agreed. Well, good. All right, we've come to the end of this episode. Um, gosh, so we've reviewed some big fat claims that somebody had made that probably didn't need to make in order to attract attention, and we urged people that see those types of claims to you know be a little be a little leery if people are very precise about. Hey, we can increase your business 327%. Nah, may look for the one that says they can do it 50%. That might be a better way to, to go. We looked at some uh, standards for improving or <laughs> ways to improve sales performance. A little motherhood and apple pie. You know, if you're going to take advice about how to improve your sales performance, look for the advice that says, yeah, here's some very specific things you can do. Uh, maybe even some quantifiable things you can do in terms of what Bridget talked about, measuring activities. That's good advice you should look for to help you. And as far as interviewing questions, the last ones we came up with, again, vague general questions don't tell you enough about the person. Look for the cultural fit, as Bridget talked about. And as I mentioned, is, is dig into the detail, understand their story, how they got from where they were to where they are. And that's a much better way for you to proceed if you're interviewing. Take as much of the uh, sort of standard emotion out of it that you can and find the right person. Anything else to add, Bridget? I, th- I think you summed it up great, Andy. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. And we'll be back again with another look at sales advice online that you find. Good advice or bad advice will help you make a determination about which one it is. In the meantime, this is Andy Paul. And Bridget Gleason. And we'll look forward to talking to you again in the future. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com.